Vincennes, I need your help with something. I'm busy right now. Why don't you just go ask some of your boys in homicide? I can't. I need someone outside of homicide. I want you to tail Bud White till he goes on duty this evening. Why don't you do me a real favor and leave me alone? Do you make the three Negroes for the night owl killings? What? It's a simple question. Why in the world do you want to go digging any deeper into the night owl killings, Lieutenant? Rolo Tomasi. Is there more to that, or am I supposed to guess? Rollo was a purse snatcher. My father ran into him off duty. And he shot my father six times and got away clean. No one even knew who he was. I just made the name up to give him some personality. What's your point? Rollo Tomasi's the reason I became a cop. I wanted to catch the guys who thought they could get away with it. It was supposed to be about justice. Then somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. Why'd you become a cop? <laughs> I don't remember. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And I feel like we're about to commit one of the sins that I have alluded to in previous episodes. I, I often spoke about films that we disagree on, or we're not quite sure how we feel about them until we talk about them. Rarely do we ever find one like, oh my god, this is the one we both love, and we're just going to geek out over it, and we'll have nothing to talk about. And I was like, let's try to avoid that. But here we are talking L.A. Confidential, a movie that you love, a movie that I love. What the hell are we going to talk about? I guess I could just go back to last week's travesty where I thought we were going to do the very same thing with Batman Returns. And you're like, isn't this movie kind of stupid? <laughs> isn't Tim Burton kind of stupid? Uh, so I guess I'm glad that I'm not uh, going to be attacked, you know, with this. with Because uh, I thought for sure you were going to come out and be like, you know, L.A. Confidential. Never cared for it. So I'm glad we're starting <laughs> oh on gosh. better terms for our Christmas month at that. What are we going to say about it? Here's a, a question I have for you because this it'll go back to my memories of it. Of um, I remember my my stepfather was not as high on it because Chinatown was his movie. Chinatown was his, oh, yeah, that's his bag, which is, you know, that's not a hot take or anything, but it was very much the, uh, the sort of get off my lawn <laughs> of a uh, film noir where he's like, well, 
it's no Chinatown. And I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking then, I'm like, well, that's not really a slam, is it? <laughs> like, I mean, if we're, if we're going to Chinatown, uh, if that's the worst you can say about LA Confidential. Uh, but as a, uh, I was a teenager at the time this released, and this was probably my first brush, you know, with this particular setting, which is a pretty common setting in Hollywood films. Uh, that, that sort of, uh, the, the glamorous time period, but the seedy underbelly of it all. But <laughs> I wonder, Webb, if you had the same impression I did. It's like, and of course I say that as uh, a white guy, right? So I, I probably mostly would have been fine. Right, I just I, I would have joined in with all the the racist cops. Yeah, so I can I can look back at that time and be like, man, you know, everyone dressed better. Uh, I like the the sort of lingo. I like the cars. Uh, there's still like sort of room to breathe if you're a white person in LA at the time. But I wonder if if we can say anything negative about the film, is it? totally there as far as selling you on the seediness because it's still a pretty cool movie with cool characters involved there's a lot of bad that happens but as a teenager it still made me kind of aspire to be like man what a time what a time to be alive as long as you're a white person i just want to keep saying that to our listeners (laughs) well i'm not a white person and i'm indian and here's how woke i am I watched the movie probably the same way you do, where I'm like, this is great. Like, I wish I was there. Even if I, like, literally if I was there in that time getting beat up and framed, I'd be like, this is still a pretty cool time. He's dressed really nice, you know. <laughs> I I still love the movie. that, And I think, I think that there is absolutely seediness there. It's just so damn attractive. That's the trouble with it. So you look at someone like Danny DeVito, who is actually quite charismatic in this film, unlike last week's film, where I feel like they were trying to pull that off, (laughs) couldn't get it done, but he's, and he's totally out for himself, even uh, later on in the film, he's kind of setting up Bud White with um, Dudley Smith, and you realize that, oh my god, he's still out for him. He's only, he only cares about himself. He doesn't care about Jack and, and, you know, how he was done. And even then, you feel bad when he's about to get murdered because I think there's a level of empathy there. And just because that sleaziness, it's it's attractive. I can't quite describe it, uh, but it absolutely is. Um, and, and I think that's why. I think that's why uh, we feel like it's not there and we still want to be a part of it. I think you just uh, – I don't know if it's the case you're trying to make, but you convinced me that Danny DeVito – uh, is the most evil, vile person in this film <laughs> because the way he bats away uh, questions where he could reveal things supposedly to a friend, uh, primarily Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey here, uh, and he says stuff like, no, 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 I want more hopheads. Get me more of that stuff. Like we, we have no interest in this thing over here because that's a little too dark. That's not what my, you know, it's, it's all in the, uh, he's just skimming the surface. Even with his tabloid magazine, it's sex and drugs. But as far as the political manipulations of people, no, 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 that's not sexy, which, you know, that's, we're, we're, we're sort of, uh, lamenting, uh, <laughs> not being alive at this time. You know, the, the political stuff is still not sexy. Uh, and we live in the age of Trump where you can't escape it. And it's they have to really tr- try to work hard to get people to pay attention because now it's just a daily deluge of 
of uh, evil and just vile acts. All right, you know, I've I've convinced myself. You convinced me that Danny DeVito was most evil. I've gone back the other way and said, you know what? He was pretty charming. <laughs> that was better. <laughs> you know, I think a great way to create a script is to look at that D&D character sheet and try to decide where, the, where to place the characters in terms of their motivations. I feel like he's right at, what, chaotic neutral, maybe? Like, mm. where he's not on anyone's side, he's on his own side, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. I feel like you're so. making good with the nerds. You attacked Batman Returns to start our Christmas month, and now you're breaking <laughs> out the, the, the lawful good, uh, all of that. Actually, I guess the you would say Ed Exley is what... Uh, possibly like lawful evil at different points in this film. Yeah. He's certainly the most, I think he's right. probably the, uh, the film is telegraphing that he is the most unlikable of our three heroes. If you want to call him that for, for a long stretch of the film. Yes, I agree. And you know, and the trouble is that you need to root for him by the end. And so how do you do that? And it's through the interactions with the other two protagonists. Uh, from what I understand, um, behind-the-scenes stuff, it was really hard to get this film made because the studios kept wanting to get rid of two of the characters and just center it around one, and you really can't do that with well, this that's script. a lot. That's, that's, a, that's a full meal for one cop to be tackling all of these threads. Exactly. And so I think in order for him to have that character arc, and all three of these characters do, which is so fantastic, he needs to team up with both Jack and Bud. And so... Both of those two characters have their own levels of like, oh my god, like you instantly fall in love with them in some way. And that's kind of where I think this movie really shines is the character work and the actors that bring them to life. I think that's the stuff that I focus on the most this time around. When I initially watched the film, I was already like very much in love with it because while it I guess it is a film noir, but it's not filmed like a film noir. It's it feels like a very modern film, but takes a lot of the elements uh, in terms of the plot and setting and so that's kind of what i loved when i first started watching the film now i like go knee deep into the details of what these characters are doing one of the things that i never even realized was kevin spacey uh, decided to do this on his own uh, and when i did a little bit of research is that his the, the great scene where he gets shot he is uh in the middle of trying to clean a little bit of coffee off of him because he's handed a cup of coffee. He's setting it down. He realizes that he gets it on his finger. Uh, and it was actually an acting position. He decided so he was trying to clean it off and then he gets shot. Something that you completely don't expect to begin with, but he's doing something as natural as just, you know, trying to stay sanitary. And it's those kind of decisions. Uh, as a great little nod to the the vanity of his character right before <laughs> right before the end <laughs> yeah. of his life i mean he's going to have blood you know pouring down his his chest i mean certainly and you know this is also we're getting into dicey territory i guess with anything. actually before you before you move on i just want to mention the the vanity his shirt it's a it's a unique shirt that's monogrammed jv on it so just just ahead like that it, it all even the set design the art direction of the film well that certainly knows what it's a doing. detail you would have noticed because you would <laughs> you as the ultimate collector and <laughs> if anyone listened to your, your attack of your, your nintendo switch library uh that would just be a uh, bridge too far not only are you shot but they ruined your monogram shirt <laughs>
it's interesting. Like this is one of those films where uh, you know the, the two unknowns, I guess if you want to call them that, uh, Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe uh, went on to become stars in their own right. In particular, Russell Crowe just a few years later with uh, the Insider and Gladiator back to back. Um, but it's inter- it's always been interesting to me that you know Kevin Spacey at the time he was the 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 movie star uh, of the three cops. It, it's an inter- interesting movie in that as we've already talked about, Danny DeVito, uh, Kim Basinger, like you know they were bigger stars than what will end up being because you know we've spoiled the hell out of it. <laughs> One of the cops <laughs> bites it halfway through, and I remember God, this is a horrible not for me, but just I just felt so bad for my brother. I watched it with my uh, younger brother. Um, who was really into this time period as well. He liked detective stories and stuff. And I remember him, um, he used to play these uh, PC games. There was one that was, uh, it was like sci-fi-ish, but it was like Tex Murphy. And it was like these storytelling games on the PC where you had like different options on how to respond to people. He just loved that stuff. And so he was really excited about this LA Confidential. And I was happy that I was able to take him as like the older brother. He stepped out to use the bathroom right when Jack Vincennes goes to visit James Cromwell and he comes back. He, now he walked in to see Kevin Spacey bleeding all over his monogram oh. shirt. And he's like, what the hell happened? And I'm like, just like you, I'm like, well, it was, you know, wiping coffee off his fingers and there it was. Um, but you know, that was the, the, the big psycho like kill that they killed Kevin Spacey. I don't know if it plays the same now. Probably wouldn't. If you were discovering it now, they, you probably see all of them as equals. But it, it wasn't the case in 97. No, I, I agree. And especially with, obviously, Kevin Spacey's like personal life coming out. So, I, you know, I, I bet there are individuals who won't even look for this film just because his name is on there. Let's not get um, into Chinatown again. <laughs> We've got some information they might need to know. <laughs> um. You're right. He doesn't play that way now. And even James Cromwell was coming off an Oscar nomination for Babe. Babe. <laughs> yeah. That'll so do, pig. I, mean, yeah. I, think, I think the audience collectively was just like, well, he, you know, he's just taking care of his own. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a damn shame. Uh, I think this is Kevin Spacey's, oh, gosh, I, it might be his best work. I know that he's got a pretty great filmography. Uh, but the little things that he does throughout this film uh, might make it my favorite one. And even um, uh, was it Elroy, uh, the mm-hmm. novelist who wrote the um, the original source material, who, by the way, looks like Alan Arkin. He looks like Alan Arkin after like years of heroin abuse. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> weird. You got if you can't, you have to look up this guy. He just... I, I have a feeling James Elroy might say thank you with that last little bit. That might <laughs> fit might. his persona a little bit more. He's an absolutely fascinating character, and he called that performance, like, transcendent. And even though there is maybe, like, he's at 80% of the book is not in the movie. Like, when he goes back and revisits his own book, he sees those characters and those actors uh, saying those specific lines in his book. So I, th- I think it's fascinating. I never know what clip you're going to use when you do your you know, the magic of the web uh, editing, but... For my money, uh, just on that note, uh, the Rolo Tomasi addition to this, which is a total shortcut, it's a total way for them to just chop up a big chunk of the book. It's so beautiful, though, that I kind of prefer the movie version. It's such a great story that, you know, the the origin of one cop 
you know, he's in some ways he's, he's being extremely revealing uh, about himself that it started from this earnest place and that Kevin Spacey, uh, when asked, you know, what was, when did you decide to become a cop? And he legitimately says he doesn't remember why doesn't even remember making that choice. The fact that that gets weaponized in a way to take down the bad guys. I love it. I always love it so much. That's why this film won an Oscar for best adapted screenplay because that that it is so good, and I, I secretly would like to think that all those Academy voters <laughs> sat there and read the book and read the script and was like, "Wow, this is really quite a good adaptation." I don't know if they did. <laughs> no, they were like us. They're like, "Man, I'd like to go back to those times when I can be openly <laughs> racist." <laughs> <laughs> But you Give know what? That film an Oscar. We'll take the win for LA Confidential. We'll, they, they earned it. They maybe voted for the wrong reasons, but so be it. Certainly. I think the role of Tomasi is just an inspired decision. Absolutely. And that's what happens when, you know, you've got the screenwriter and he worked with uh, Curtis Hansen um, on the script. And the two of them were very much in sync. The, the script took uh, a long, long time. And they were obsessing over this script. Before it was even, you know, approved. This was just a spec script that they were hoping that it would uh, ultimately get finished. And uh, they were afraid to show it to Elroy. And, you know, it was just it was just something that seemed like this is a labor of love. Whether it gets made, whether it ever gets released or read by anybody, who knows. But we, we want to go and make sure that this script is, like, perfect. And that's what... Uh, it, came out and it was brilliant absolutely brilliant i'm shocked that the studio had uh, such little faith in it i mean the the damn movie was nominated for a palm d'Or. one of the things also that i noticed this time around was the morality that really is um kind of haunting all three of these characters is there a specific one that you either related to or you found more engaging than the others because uh, you've got um ed exley who is kind of dealing with like you said the role of Tomas' story he he got into it because of justice and now it's more about career progression um jack vincennes who doesn't even remember why he became a uh, an officer but now it's more about the celebrity and uh, the quick buck on the side uh and then you've got bud who uh, dealing with his own family issues and th there's a lack of confidence there what he wants to do and the way people see him uh, each of these three characters are going through something very deep um either personal or moral conundrums and so is there one that you prefer one that you found more captivating than the others when you uh you set it up like that web we were like these are all three deeply insecure men <laughs> which one are you mike <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think certainly probably as a teenager, I, I liked, uh, not that I w would liken myself to him, uh, Bud White more. I, I liked him because it was, uh, you know, Ed Exley is that, that, uh, you know, that he's, he's climbing the ranks of management to a certain degree. And that's, that's not cool. It's not hip. He, his character is not projected as cool either. Even, even his, he's being successful, uh, he's having a hard time gaining respect. Uh, they, they have the little visual gag about him having to wear glasses. And it's like, you know, I can't think of a single man in uniform who wears something like that. Like, um, so I definitely didn't say Ed Exley. I, 
you know, I, I, I'm nothing like any of the, the characters, but I would say the closest approximation uh, for me probably would be Jack Vincennes, not Kevin Spacey, emphasis on the character <laughs> here, um, because I feel like he has a little bit more of a of a of a volley um you know it's more internal with himself uh i think because bud and ed exley have to carry the plot forward to its conclusion they're responding to uh external forces more forcing them to to change forcing them to bond together and jack vincennes a lot of the times when he you know in the film we have a moment where you can see him shift he's usually alone like he has that great moment at the bar um, yes. Or he he discovers, you know, that he's he's sent this failed actor. Not only has he killed his career, but he's played a part in actually getting this man killed. And yet again, he's in a room alone with his thoughts to himself. Uh, I so I guess in a way, let me be clear again. I would aspire to have that personal growth and change because of how I myself. And looking in the mirror like Jack Vincent's, as opposed to <laughs> we're under siege, bud. We need to we need to <laughs> ally together. But I'm not gonna. If you have a, another choice, I won't I won't knock it, Webb. Even though I, I just made no, the no, correct no. choice, Kevin Spacey, obviously. <laughs> I I absolutely uh, am 100 percent on on the same page as you are with him. Uh, and you actually pointed out that him looking in the mirror. What a great shot. There's two of them. Uh, there's that shot, uh, that realization that what he has to do, and then obviously looking at the dead body. And that's when the change kind of occurs. And uh, good on uh, Curtis Hansen. That's, mm-hmm. that's the yeah, auteur good on Curtis behind Hansen. the River Wild. How dare you say I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, have, I don't think I've seen that much outside of Ellie Confidential from him. I actually really like uh, Wonder Boys, which was the follow-up, a comedy the, with Michael Douglas and Francis McDormand. And uh, he did a really good uh, movie about uh, sisters and in her shoes with Cameron Diaz and Tony Collette that I, I liked. That I think was sold as some sort of like screwball comedy, but uh, sort of an old-fashioned, almost James L. Brooks kind of melodrama, which I, I just caught up with Webb. Uh, you were sort of chiding me uh, off mic saying, do you ever watch a movie that you're not going to record on? That was one earlier this year that I just checked out because I'm like, hey, my man Curtis Hansen, he gets no respect mm-hmm. from Webb. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stream this movie I've not seen. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a look at his filmography here. Eight Mile, right on. I can get behind okay. that. All right. You're, you're trying to, you know, check in with the kids circa 2002. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and apparently he made a cameo in Adaptation, so uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, he's been pretty quiet since uh, Chasing Mavericks, it seems. But I think I think he um, passed I away, w- honestly. <laughs> oh, did he? Is that why he's been quiet? <laughs> You're quite right. You know, for the past f- so Curtis Hansen gets a pass for the past four years. <laughs> Proving my point that Webb has no respect for the man. <laughs> Well, it's been kind of a lazy son of a bitch (laughs) recently.
One of the things that you mentioned is that you've got Kevin Spacey as a uh, as the big movie star and also as um, Danny DeVito as the big star attached to the picture. And then you've got these two Australian actors who are really – I think Curtis Hansen mentioned that he saw Romper Stopper uh, and Russell Crowe was like a neo-Nazi in the film and thought he'd be good for Bud. I, I have an image of the DVD of that and – like with most <laughs> movies, I guess, about skinheads, I'm like, that looks like a really unappealing way to spend two hours of my life. So I never did check it out. But apparently he was good in it. Certainly. Uh, doesn't surprise me. And you've got uh, Guy Pearce. And I don't remember exactly where uh, Curtis Hansen um, uh, thought of Guy Pearce for the role. But ultimately, they all went on to do other great things. Guy Pearce didn't. While he did Memento and maybe a couple other things here and there, uh, you know, he was great in uh, Hurt Locker. Anywho, he doesn't get as much uh, of that uh, celebrity that was obtained by the other uh, Aussie here. Is, do you Are you ever surprised by that? Because like, you mentioned well, earlier today that he would have <laughs> yeah. been your ideal Daredevil, and I think that's a great choice. So like, why why didn't he get Daredevil, damn it? <sighs> I honestly think that his, you know, I'm looking at his filmography. I think his taste is just a little more idiosyncratic, I guess. Like, it, it just seems like he has, like, a weirder sensibility. And um, uh, a friend, Andrew, um, who uh, writes, uh, well, is the, I guess, the owner-operator of the, the Curb website, which covers Australian cinema, he, he at one point, uh, I don't know if he just found it amusing that... Uh, I would always talk about how much I had a, a particular crush on Guy Pierce, and much like you, I was lamenting like he should have been the biggest movie star the world has ever seen. Uh, <laughs> he sent me uh, an album of his. He's a musician over in Australia. It's not crossed over here. Uh, signed by Mr. Guy Pierce, and I've got that right here on my shelf next to all these worthless Criterions. <laughs> and uh, it's a you know chair thing, so it's kind of a running gag, I guess, in our small podcasting community. It's like, man, Mike is really obsessed with Guy Pierce. He's really going to bat for him, like he's a family member or something. But uh, I don't know. I mean, he's the stuff like you mentioned, Memento. He did a movie called The Rover uh, five or six years ago that I loved. I adored it. It's this sort of like more grounded post-apocalyptic thing. I, that's all I can imagine. I wouldn't say that. LA Confidential is the launching pad because even though he has, you know, pretty much the two back-to-back heroic moments in the film and the final shootout being what's perceived as the, the only survivor. And also he's got the, the smart ass, you know, a a hero. Like, you know, he's like, (laughs) go ahead and you pencil me in for this, (laughs) whatever narrative you're creating. uh, I want in. Uh, I still think that he's just deeply, even in those money shots, he's deeply unlikable. And I remember watch I still remember watching this in the theater with my poor brother who missed the, the, the big twist with Kevin Spacey. Uh, I remember the audience erupting into, I don't want to say like great applause, but there was definitely some, the scattered applause when Russell Crowe's revealed to have survived the shootout. Oh it's like yeah. That, the one yeah. we cared about is alive. Not this twerp <laughs> with glasses. <laughs> so I don't know. Like even then, uh, in my you know small Kentucky movie theater, uh, my fellow citizens here knew Russell Crowe was the one. He was the one destined to become the movie star. Uh, I don't know for the right reasons after Gladiator. He was he was very much in the tabloids and the whole uh, affair with Meg Ryan, and there was all this other stuff. And uh, Guy Pierce was just having you know 
respectful, quiet affairs, I'm sure. <laughs> Not with me, <laughs> as it should have been, but sure, whatever. And you know, uh, one of the things that Russell Crowe has actually said, this is one of the two films he would love to have a sequel um, because he just wants to play that character again. I think that would be great. Uh, from what I understand, a sequel was technically greenlit earlier this year, um, and I think Chadwick Boseman was also set to uh, star in as like a young cop. I don't know if that's going to happen now with his uh, passing and, you know, just general. How many projects get greenlit and never get made? So that's probably the Brian uh, Helgeland connection with him i think directing him in 42 so i'm assuming that was probably something they got kicked up there but that that's a shame because uh i had I'd heard that briefly like just some of those things it's like hey this is a another what if but it was gonna be set in the 70s and it's like yeah you could you could definitely do it you could change that landscape and then suddenly you have movie dorks like me and web like Ugh, i don't want any part of the 70s no that's <laughs> that's too scary well actually the other film that he mentioned that he wants to do a sequel to is The Nice Guys, which is set in the 70s, and it's a similar character. Uh, you've got Kim Basinger. So, you know, there, there is uh, Sid, Sid Haddock is, you know, one of the um, character names, and there's there's little connections here and there with this and LA Conference, which I think is I, – I love The Nice Guys. I had to – God, I think I saw that movie three times in the theaters because I was like, nobody's going. Maybe I can make a difference, and I don't think I did. Um, but yes, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what else we can say about LA Confidential. It's just, it's just fantastic. Uh, oh, I, another thing I noticed this time around is that you've got, uh, Ed shooting Dudley in the back, just like, you know, uh, Dudley mentioned the very beginning of the movie. He's like, can you make those hard, does it, can you shoot a hardened criminal in the back, uh, to make sure he doesn't avoid jail time because of a sneaky attorney or technicality? It's like, those things though just everything that was great about this film just i continues to give this is a such a giving film and during this season like that's exactly <laughs> what we need uh yeah i i would like uh yeah florida lee stocking stuffer there that would be nice <laughs> Disgrace as a police officer. Straight D fitness reports from every CEO he ever served under. What about him? Twelve years ago, he was on a vice rouse with Dick Stensland. They questioned Pierce Patchett about a, a blackmail scam. Patchett had Sid Hudgens photographing prominent businessmen with hookers. <laughs> anyway, charges were dropped. Insufficient evidence. You were the supervising officer on that case, and I was wondering if you remember anything about it. What's this all about, Graham? Part of it has to do with a murder. I've been working with Ed Exley on it. You're a narco, Jack, not homicide. Since when do you work with Edmund Exley? Well, it's a private investigation. Uh, I messed something up. I'm trying to make amends. Don't start trying to do the right thing, Boyle. 
You haven't had the practice? Buzz mix and Dick Stenzel. So, uh, what does Exley make of all this? No, I haven't told him yet. I just came straight from the records room. Have you a valediction? 